You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Cups up. Cups, Cups up, Eric. How are you doing? Doing good. Cups up, girls. Uh, cups up, ladies. <laughs> that was quite the debate. That? Yeah, let's talk about it. What are your thoughts, Mandy? I do not care if you call me a girl. I think it's I think it's fine. I don't take any offense to it, for the record. If you called me young lady, I would have a problem with that. <laughs> that's like that's my cringy thing. But I didn't realize other people cringed at girls as much as they do. What do you think, Liz? It didn't even occur to me to be bothered by it because there are so many more important things. Also, the intent of the speaker is always important. And I know that Eric's intent is not to diminish us in any way or to be reductive in any way. So yeah, you're absolved, Eric. Well, (laughs) I removed it from my lexicon and I uh, strike that from the record, so to speak. I don't know what you're supposed to say, though, like cups up women. That's... (laughs) It's different. I don't know. Cups up, ladies. Okay. I don't know. That feels like a. I don't like like that as much. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it. Cups up, friends. Oh, that's good. There we go. You know, I've been trying to stop myself from saying the word guys because I know that can be uh, another point of contention among people. But it's just, it's been, it's too hard. I, I don't have room in my brain right now. But I will work on it. I'm trying to get better every day with with things like that. But we have a lot to talk about. How's your week been without Murdoch, Mandy? Without the trial, is I should really? say. How's your week it, been? Yeah. <laughs> is it really without yeah. Murdoch? Is it ever? Um, It's been good. I think it's been really weird, like, waking up and not having, like, to rush around before 930 and then not having to be on this schedule of, yeah, it's just been, it's been hard to readjust, though. What do you guys think? How has I it been for you? Um, I've been trying to process it. You know, I kind of, did I just see Evil Knievel jump the Snake River Canyon and make it? That's kind of, I feel like what we just did. I, I I know he's guilty, but every morning I wake up, I have to remind myself, did that really happen or was that just a dream? And so I'm processing really what took place the last seven weeks. And I'm now 
focusing on what does the landscape look like ahead? Well, let's talk about that. So one of the things that struck me in the past few days, I, I saw online that people were talking about James the juror, who I've never been good at saying the word juror. I think Southern people have a great way of saying I like the way Newman that. says juror. Juror. Juror is what I juror. hear down here a lot. Yeah. How do you say juror? Juror. juror. Juror, same. So James the Juror is the 22-year-old. His name is James McDowell, I believe. And he is the guy, I want to say kid, but he's the guy who wore a constitution tie. And I believe he appeared on the Today Show amongst other TV appearances. And people are sort of freaking out because he is related to Chad McDowell, who is the guy that was the, he was the Colleton County Sheriff's Office deputy who was the second to arrive on the scene at Moselle. Now, I was in the room when the jury went through its voir dire, and this was brought up. It, Judge Newman read through the list of witnesses, and people would have to stand if they had any sort of relationship with any of those witnesses. They'd have to explain what that relationship was, and then both sides would note it. So uh, they'd be asked if they could be impartial. That was one of the questions. So James was asked this during that, and he said he could remain impartial. And the defense said that they wanted to bring him back for inquiry. And they did. And so when his number came up and they chose him as an alternate, he started as an alternate and became juror number four, I believe, toward the end. But Eric, what happens during inquiry? What is that? And and because a lot of people are questioning Dick and Jim's decision to keep James on the jury panel or on the jury. What happens is the you raise your hand, everybody hopefully answers truthfully. Obviously, in the questionnaires, they have to answer truthfully, and that reveals a lot of information about their background. But when they read the witness list off and the judge would have asked, does anybody know anybody directly or indirectly? The judge Got says- it notwithstanding your relationship with your brother, can you be seated as a juror and be objective, fair and impartial to both sides and not make a decision based on the relationship you would have with your brother? And he obviously answered, I can't. Well, they asked that out in the public. So we got to hear that part. But then Dick and Jim asked for him to be taken back into the judges' chambers along with a number of other jurors, you know, through each of the panels. So I was just sort of wondering what the further inquiry would be. Does the defense get to ask questions or? Yes, but the gravamen of it was Dick said, I didn't believe you. That's the only thing that would have happened. Dick would have said, I don't believe that you could be fair and impartial. How could you be fair and impartial if your brother is a police officer arrived on the scene and we're going to criticize most likely the crime scene and what the officers did? how can you be fair and impartial? So it would probably be questioning his answer. But they ultimately said yes to him. So they ultimately must have just... They waved anyway. Yeah. So I, I think a couple of things. I think that behind the scenes, the pro-defense people, Murdoch people, whatever we want to call them, are using this as an example of Alex not getting a fair trial but his defense attorneys did like his defense attorneys could have struck this juror and they didn't. They seated him. So I took the whole thing as Dick and Jim thought there was enough police officers who were good old boys who were on their side. And that is what makes this different than any other case where you would just be attacking the police and everything. 
I think that Dick and Jim thought the the good old boys of Colleton County would be on their side and this juror would rule in their favor and he did not. So one of the interesting things from Chad McDowell's body camera is he is the one, I believe, who said, do you know about this family? And I'll fill you in later. So that's another thing that's interesting to me because personally, I'm not obviously an attorney, but if I were, I think that would weigh heavily on my mind. Like, well, what does he have to say that he doesn't want to say on body camera? So Eric, what do you make of that? What do you make of them doing, allowing this guy to sit, continue on the jury and not fighting it? Well, I think that Dick and Jim felt all along that they're in the forum that they want to be on. They're in the venue that where they wanted to be. You know, we were positing, why didn't the state make a motion to change venue in a couple of our episodes or we said it at a different time? I think Jim and, and Dick believed all they want to get was one juror and they felt that they were going to be a beak to a lot of Murdoch people who some have been the beneficiary of some good things that the Murdoch's have done over the years and some people who have fond feelings of their family. I don't think Dick and Jim were trying to get 12, but I think that they thought they could seat one or two that would really benefit them. And what they never envisioned, and we didn't either, is that they started falling off like ducks, you know, at the carnival when you shoot the duck and he flops over and you now you're seven instead of eight. We started losing jurors and they may have lost good jurors. So what are some of the things, Mandy, that have happened in the last few days or the last week or so that about the trial that has surprised you or horrified you or even brought you joy? Let's think. Where do we start? Should we start with Randy? Let's start with Randy. Liz, how about, I think you were the first one to see it. I can't even remember. But what? So Randy spoke to the New York Times. And he broke his silence. He hasn't talked to press in over a year. And what did you make of what he had to say? Because I find it interesting because a lot of my different sources had different thoughts on it and what they took from it. What did you think, Liz? Well, I tweeted this, but I think that there's a clear pattern of whenever PMPED or the former PMPED is in trouble, they sort of get a New York Times story afterward. And I guess that's the way I view it. It just seems like Randy was super careful in the way he worded his responses. He clearly wants to give off the impression that he is so disgusted and upset at his brother while also not saying that his brother's guilty, which I don't know. It it feels disingenuous. But then again, he really didn't show up for trial He said he hasn't spoken to Alec in over a year. And I know you and I were trying to piece together whether that was true based on what we know about the jailhouse calls. Eric, did you read that story? I did. And uh, a little bit of what you said, but I also think it was more professional preservation for him as a lawyer with the PMPD law firm that I think the firm is is really starting to feel a backlash of the Myrtle name. Now you have a lot of bad things that have come out about this family. Now he's a murderer in addition to being a thief and a liar. And I think that he's trying to disassociate himself from the Murdoch negative things that have taken place over the last seven weeks and preserve his legal career. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, sooner or later that he may have to make a decision or the firm makes a decision. Is it in the firm's best interest that he be a, a partner in that firm or should he separate? What do you think? Do you think he should separate? I do. I think if you're, and of course it's not for me to speak for the firm, 
or you know how they do business but they they probably he probably can separate two things but i think having a myrtle at this point is the name is caustic the name is uh troubling the name evokes emotion and that's just not what you want in your law firm you want peace and quiet and serenity and be able to do your your job and i've talked to a lot of lawyers one that you and i know well liz today and they feel the same way that that he will probably have to make a decision about his future career somewhere down the line how is johnny parker doing i'm just kidding <laughs> i don't know him <laughs> um mandy what do you think what are what are your sources saying about the story you know s- some sources considered it to be like a monumental moment of like, this is a Murdoch going against another, like he's saying, he's finally admitting he's a, he's a thief and a liar and he knows more about the murders than he's saying. That said, I more agree with what you guys are saying, which like, I think it's about his career and I think it's about PMPD. I think that like, it just doesn't mean as much now. And I also was thinking back to the witness list and Randy was on both. Randy was on the prosecution and defense. And I always kind of wanted, like John Marvin was on just the defense list. And I wondered if Randy said something to Dick and Jim that made them nervous or I don't know. And then other people, other sources I was talking to was saying, Randy, it's like signaling to John Marvin, like it's time that we part ways with Alex. I don't know if it's that much. I just think that he knows that Alex is entirely bad news and a lot of people hate him and he wants to separate himself from from it as clean as possible isn't it too little too late and and i say that in a in a kind kind of way not uh, sarcastic but if he knew that alex didn't show any interest in the inquiries that everybody was making after the murder for the next month and all the phone calls and he he didn't care to find out what was being found out or ask or and didn't have any inquisitive mind and then he knows that he's been a thief Shouldn't he have spoken out sooner? Shouldn't he have maybe separated himself sooner? To me, it it seems like, well, yeah, you know, the result was bad. Would he have done this if there was a not guilty verdict? That's kind of what I asked myself. Right. And the the thing that I go back to is I was remembering the jailhouse phone calls in the month right after he filed a lawsuit for... Um, money that he loaned to Alex that Alex owed him. And Randy did not speak to Alex like a sibling who had to sue him because they couldn't resolve an issue. Like they were just like, hey, Bo, what's going on with this game? Blah, blah, blah. And also this was at the point where, I mean, he was talking to him very friendly after everything came out about the Satterfield case. And so he knew, Randy knew at that point that Alex had used his position as a lawyer to totally steal and lie to people. And you would think as a lawyer himself and as a member of his firm that is suffering all the consequences of Alex, he wouldn't have been so friendly. So I don't know. Randy is, Randy, like the rest of the family, is still a mystery to me as far as who he is and what he stands for. 
I think the thing that's notable here is that Randy was one of two people that went to confront Alec after he was found out allegedly at PMPD on that September 2nd date. He is one that uh, basically got his resignation and that Alec tried to lobby to not be uh, fired, you know, that there might just be a cooling off period and he could come back. So Randy would have been privy as a partner and, I, and not just as a partner, they call them shareholders in PMPED. As a shareholder, he would have been privy to what they knew at that time. I totally understand the idea that Randy might want to wait until after the evidence, until after he sees it. I personally don't believe that the family didn't know all the evidence going into this trial. So I don't know necessarily why you would have to wait for the trial. But additionally, he would have been privy to all the financial stuff. And let's not forget what came out during the trial, which is that Alec stole uh, Randy's shareholder check. And not only that, uh, asked for a duplicate and then stole the original one as well. So it, it Randy has been done dirty in, <laughs> by this guy for so long. I'm just not really sure what evidence he was waiting for. Uh, and again, I mean, the New York Times is obviously the top tier newspaper in the country and bravo to him for being able to get space in it. But I just, yeah, I question it. And I, and it's, it's insulting, in, in my opinion, to Maggie's name and Paul's name that now when it benefits this guy, he's speaking out against Alec in, in the least way possible, frankly. Is Randy Fredo? I don't is know, because I've never seen that movie. It's yeah, I don't know who that is. Is he yeah. oh. the older brother? Oh, from yeah. White Lotus. Is he? Is the, that the guy? Who died in the car? <laughs> is he the older brother that really isn't the controlling person in the family? I got the feeling from the trial that Alex was the more dynamic of the two, the more outgoing of the two, and that Randy was passed over the same way Fredo was passed over in The Godfather for Sonny and Michael, the younger brothers. And Fredo kept saying, I'm the older brother. You know, you, you should treat me with respect. Is, is he that, is he the passed over brother or is he the controlling factor in that family? I honestly think he's the passed over brother because whatever Randolph was into, assuming he was into something, he and Alec were pretty close and pretty tight in that regard. And Randy Murdoch is not just a mystery to us, but He's a mystery to a lot of people who knew Randolph and Alec pretty well. So it's, I think he, he sort of existed in that enigmatic space where you just don't know who he is. I would have to agree. But White Lotus season two, uh, is Fredo the one who got blown up or was that his girlfriend? I don't know. I don't know. I'm talking about it from Fredo, the Godfather. So no, I know it's, it plays a role. Mandy, our only reference to Godfather is from White <laughs> White Lotus, because neither of us have seen the movie. <laughs> and there's a huge, like, Godfather theme in season two of White Lotus. You should watch plot. it, Eric. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's, You it. would really like it. And we'll watch Renee, The Godfather and Renee come back watches, to you. <laughs> Renee just finished season one, and she says it's good. And we heard season two is really, really good. I've just been so busy, you know, for the last seven weeks, like you friends have that I just haven't had time to watch. And we'll be right back. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Volux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. 
Givoderm Velox XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injections like redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a and specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people who had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Speaking of people who have been busy for the past seven weeks, you guys heard Dick Carpulian's rant on the state Senate floor the other day, correct? I did. Yes. What'd you think about it, Eric? Watching the the difference between Jim and Dick post-trial has been really interesting. You can see uh, Jim is very, very troubled and he's pained at the verdict because of he was so personally invested and he's talking constantly about Alex and the case. Dick, since the verdict, is talking only about Dick and the effect that it has had on Dick. Dick's getting hate mail. He's being mocked, notwithstanding the fact that he's the best at doing that when you put a microphone in his face and and for 30 years has has mocked people or used sarcasm to his advantage. He, He is being personally attacked. And so the difference between the way Jim and Dick have acted since the verdict has been striking. So, Mandy, tell us just a little bit of some of the highlights there. It started off with uh, State Senator Gerald Malloy, who had a point of interest he wanted to introduce, which was basically that he believed that uh, we all needed to recognize Judge Clifton Newman for his uh, accomplishments during that six-week trial. And he spoke highly, even said that uh, Judge Newman had trouble walking around at a basketball game because of all the people following him. And we've seen lots of photos online of people stopping him for, for uh, selfies, which is really cool. But uh, after that, Dick Harpootlian stood up to talk about, like Eric said, Dick. Do you want to give us some of the highlights from that That things that stood out for you okay so somebody messaged me on twitter and was like uh mandy check out what's going on in the state state house floor right now um judge newman's being honored and it's great and i was like oh that's wonderful (laughs) go to click by the time i get there 
it's Dick Harputlian ranting and <laughs> about himself. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Happened? How did he manage to hijack this too? So I go back and watch. We talked about this a little bit, Liz, is that like all these guys end up using everything to their advantage in one way or another. Um, the, the Clifton Newman speech was about how we should let judges who are, we should not force judges to retire past the age of 72 because that Newman is going to retire this year and what a great judge he is. He is a fantastic judge, but I think there's a lot of problematic judges that probably should retire at 72. So, but then the next guy who I believe is related to Russell Lafitte. Did you guys catch that? I did not, but I- They're related? Yeah, did you know that, Eric? I didn't know that. He's related to Russell somehow. His wife is Russell's cousin. Anyways, he used it to ask Dick Harputlian if he believed that the, if like, hey, Dick, you're a lawmaker. And do you think that the, that the judge sided with you in that case? Like he used it for his advantage. I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but. And then Dick got the floor because a lot of people were like, how did he even get the floor? How did this even happen? Now, I disagree with Judge Newman on some of the rulings he made. We, he ruled. We objected. It's in the record. The court, uh, Supreme Court, Court of Appeals have a chance to look at it and maybe even federal court. But that's not based on bias or he just had a view of the law different than I had. Now, the third thing I want to say is this. There are, and of course, unfortunately, um, people feel compelled to express their opinion on things through the internet. Somehow they got a hold of my, I guess it's on my website, my email. I really wanted that big case you had, but that's not what they chose to send me. Um, most of it was very positive. And he was also highly criticized because in his press conference right after the verdict he or very long delayed after the verdict actually he said that he would not mix his role as a lawmaker and an attorney and then there he was a couple days later on the state house floor talking about his job in this case so that was crazy too but i i think Ultimately, it just showed to me Dick was going, he was laughing, he was making fun of uh, people that camped out and stood in line in the morning. He said that they needed help. He was making fun of people from Germany watching the trial and said they needed more to do, you know. A lot of it were people that were watching this in Germany or England or the Netherlands or, I mean, wacky. I don't know, they don't have anything else to do in those countries, but a, a, a bunch of people here also gave me suggestions on a daily basis what we should do or how we screwed up yesterday. Just constant. And then he went into, if you're criticizing me, you don't understand the system. And that's where I have a problem. Um, but trust me, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, that we, me and my co-counsel, we got emails. Not all of them wished rectal cancer on me, but most of them are fairly critical. Um, and so those are people that don't understand the Constitution. He also, in his post-sentencing press conference, used an incredibly insensitive and derogatory term to describe some uh, of Alex's victims and was corrected, but proceeded to say it again anyways and tried to justify making that statement because I'm just an old man. And that was uh, just 
one and another litany of offensive things that he said during the last seven weeks. Monster who stole from children and crippled people and is crippled not that's not a political correct word. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm an old guy. Crippled people um, who has just done horrible, despicable things, um, and he had to try to push back on that. Yeah, people were horrified by that, rightfully so. And it's, I mean, how old is Dick? What's your age difference? And I know that you, Eric, you look 30 years younger than Dick. So, but I know, I know that. What's your age difference? 13 years. Look. 13 years. Okay. We're 13. And you've heard me say that lawyers should expire like milk and judges should expire like milk. I don't agree with Article 3 of our Constitution that federal judges should serve for life. I don't agree that Supreme Court justices should serve for life. The People lose a lot of their mental acuity as they get older. I feel a little bit of it now, and I'm only 61 years old. Look, I, I applauded Dick for his energy and being able to do it. But, you know, for every Judge Newman, though, there's a lot of other judges that, that it does slip, that their hearing is slipping. You know, Judge Newman doesn't have hearing issues. But I have. there's a lot of older judges that are constantly, excuse me, what did you say? What did you say? And they miss something. So if they can't hear me arguing when witnesses are testifying, how much of a trial are they missing? And so... I, I think lawyers should look at themselves in their late 60s and early 70s. Sure, there's always going to be the 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 aberrant one or the the odd one, but judges the same way, and that's why they put the retirement age at 72. Because if you look at it over a graph, most judges are getting older quicker than they should. What's interesting to me is that somebody could get that far in their career and still have. The, an ego that is as fragile as a bird bone because some of the things that he was saying spoke more to well like you said Mandy he was mocking people that attended the trial people that watched it while at the very same time using it for street cred among his colleagues I just I just found it really grossly immature and very emblematic of the issue that I think we've had with Dick this entire time and Eric, in a conversation earlier, you had said that Dick is just not used to this type of criticism, that he's used to wowing people and having people, even if they don't like him, compliment him on his skills. And he neither wowed us with his skills or his personality, and in fact, seemed to be benched by Alec at some point during that trial. So maybe this is his final hurrah. I, I, I hate to see what he's going to try to do next to make up for this. Like, I, I don't think this is how he wants to exit the scene. So first of all, he said that people are emailing him. It's funny, but it's bad. With, wishing him rectal cancer, which is horrible. It was funny to just to hear him say that, but it's horrible. I mean, people should not be doing that. I just want to be clear and on the record, like there is no need to email anybody wishing them rectal cancer ever. Dick lost. There's no need to say anything to him at this point. There's a difference between holding somebody accountable and then just harassing them. But that said, I think what really bothers me is that like he's really he continues to twist just like Alex does and he continues to manipulate just like Alex does instead of taking responsibility for his actions and taking responsibility for the criticism that he's gotten. He instead says that everybody else doesn't understand the Constitution and the role of a defense attorney. And I just have to say that I have gotten this over and over and over again on Twitter that I don't understand it either. 
I get it. There, our system pushes people and we need defense attorneys and there is nothing more honorable than a defense attorney defending a innocent client and or guilt they, they have a role to do and I understand that but people were criticizing his behavior not his role and people were criticizing the way that he treated so Tony Satterfield him pointing a gun at the prosecution and giggling about it in court so I am not five foot two or five foot four. I think you said five foot three or five foot four. But position me <laughs> tempting, but um <laughs> the way that he spoke to women in particular, that is what people have a problem with. You were what? I was a special agent at the time that I worked this. Yes. Okay. And a special agent is what's so special about the special agent? Uh, that's what sled agents are referred to as. And I, it's just sad to me that he can't, he just continues to yell at everybody else and say that they don't understand instead of looking at himself. But that's that. Eric, do you think that there's anything that could happen to Dick as far as pointing the gun at the prosecution and saying tempting? Is there anything that can happen to him? If I did that, I would get a grievance for uncivilized conduct and violating my civility oath as a lawyer. The problem is that there was some laughter in the courtroom. And so a certain number of people either laughed nervous, probably a nervous laugh from some, and then other people with their sick sense of humor probably laughed with him. I thought it was just repugnant behavior. It was beneath a lawyer to do that, you know, Guns are dangerous. We have so many gun crimes and mass killings that have taken place that the concept of misholding a gun, especially in a trial where guns played such a prominent role, was, I found, to be utterly uh, deplorable. The problem, like you said, is Dick did the triple Lindy at the trial. You know, he offended, his sarcasm was flat, his performance was flat, and he got benched. So it was like he suffered mortal blows because... I've seen Dick win and win ugly. I've seen Dick win and win with, you know, sarcasm and owning the courtroom. But you saw a man who's really fighting to protect the legacy on that Senate floor. He he is smart enough to recognize that a lifetime legacy that he built really suffered a mortal blow last week. And Jim Griffin, on the other hand, is trying through his interviews to rehabilitate himself and explain why he believes in Alex's innocence and still does. He gave an interview yesterday where he now posited something new. And I don't know if you heard it, Mandy, where he said he thought that SLED has the blue shirt, the seafoam blue shirt, and that they've been lying all the time. He thinks that it was hanging up in his car because there was a blue shirt hanging up in the car when they took photos at the roadside shooting and that SLED actually has the seafoam shirt and that they have been lying about it. So we see lawyers that are just trying to hold on. And uh, sometimes the best advice you can get is stop talking. I, I just think, I just wanna say something. I think that goes to like a big lesson in this and I get it. It's really, really hard to admit that you were wrong and to admit that you believed in somebody that fooled you and that you, I think Jim Griffin has 
really, really, really wanted to believe Alex. And I think that he's been fooled by his friend this entire time, who is a manipulative, probably narcissist. I'm not a psychologist, but it, I think that, like, I just wish that he would know that there's a way out. That, like, if he right now would stop and say, I got fooled by my friend, I know that he can't do that, but like, he doesn't have to keep doing this. He, and I think that he, I think when you want to be right, you just try so hard to make the pieces fit. And I think that's interesting, Eric, what you said, how they're behaving differently. You can tell that, like, I don't think Dick ever cared if Alex did it or not. We'll be right back. As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful, but do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Y'all. I am so excited to tell you about our new AquaTrue water purifier. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and we are enjoying the benefits every day. And you don't have to worry about PFAs or other harmful contaminants. Best of all, our water tastes fantastic. It is even portable, making it perfect for renters or college dorms, or even when embedded in a trial. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code COJ at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code COJ. And I wanted to ask this question of uh, you two, and that is Dick on the floor said, look, I don't care whether Alex is guilty or innocent. My job is to make sure that the government does its job, hold them accountable that the warrants are right and the charges are right. You know, no impropriety on the evidence gathering. And that's exactly what a lawyer should. Jim, on the other hand, made a statement on the court TV interview that I don't think we should do as lawyers. I actually agree with Dick's statement. Jim said, I would not have represented Alex if I thought he was guilty. And a lawyer should never, ever ask that question because then it becomes too personal. And one of the criticism that you guys have leveled over the months is you feel that Jim may have been too close to the Murdoch's and his friendship may have blurred some of his 
professional judgment. I, I don't ever want to know, did my client do it or not? If I found out that my client did it, you know, where does that put me? And I don't think you should say, well, you know, I'm not going to represent him if I think he's guilty. Dick's doing it the right way. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm my focus is on the government. You know, yes, I have a client to represent, but I want to make sure the government does everything right. And I love that. I love our system of justice. It's an amazing system. We're not Iran. We don't charge somebody and then try in the next day. We have rules of engagement and and free flow of information that is either exculpatory or inculpatory that has to be provided to the defense. Our system works. It's a beautiful system. And uh, I was a little taken back when Jim said, well, you know, I have to make the decision that he's innocent before I'm going to represent him. It was just a strange thing to hear him say. What are your thoughts on that, Liz? Obviously, the ability to hire somebody like Dick and Jim, uh, a team like that, and with the amount of work that they put into building that defense, that's a one percenter type thing. So the system would work, I believe, if everyone got the kind of defense that Dick described, which is that, yes, obviously, a defense attorney's job is to make sure that the government has built its case correctly and uh, honestly. But I don't know that, you know, that, that I think that's the imbalance that bothers me. It's just that people like Alec get special consideration by the court, by the mere fact that they have a team of people who can set out these uh, red herrings and these uh, use sort of, and, and the word trickery is probably very loaded, but there was a lot of nonsense coming from Dick and Jim. And, and the nonsense is what I take issue with. It's the using the system, uh, de well, degrading the system, first of all, all for one man. They were ready to burn down SLED and Colleton County Sheriff's Office, all for Alec. Don't forget, they're going to burn that jury down over the next two weeks because when they file their motion for a new trial, they're going to raise, they're going to have juror affidavits, they're going to have affidavits from friends. Yeah, they're going hard at the jury. That's, that's a fertile ground for them. Whether Jim believes that uh, Alec is innocent or not, uh, I don't know that he needs to be the guy that's, uh, I, I don't know why he would want to be the guy that says that. Obviously, Dick has the right idea about what a defense attorney should do. But again, I would say that he didn't just limit it to making sure that the state had a good case against Elegant, that they were actually making their case and, and questioning the evidence. And they, like you said, making sure the warrants are signed and making sure that they're, they're accurate. And they did that to a certain extent, obviously. There was there were definitely questions that they raised. But overall, I think that Elec had put them in such a bind with his lies and they wanted to pretend like we didn't just hear those lies and now we're hearing new lies. So that is their problem. That is our chief problem. And I, so when they're talking to these jurors to get these affidavits, and one of the things we're, I think we should talk about now actually is Russell Lafitte, because the, obviously that trial, the jury situation has ended up being a, the, a key point of contention. And on Monday, Judge Richard Gurgel, federal judge, issued a 42-page order denying Russell's motion for a new trial. And that was a pretty scathing order and pretty meticulous and it had a few uh, points of interest, one of which is that he took to calling Mark Moore, who was the attorney that was brought in to lead Russell's appellate case. This guy filed an, another supplemental motion for a new trial, and in it he scorched uh, Bart Daniel and Matt Austin and said that they didn't represent Russell correctly. And now Gurgle's even more angry in this order because he's not just angry at Bart and Matt, but he's angry at 
at Mark Moore for interceding like this. And it was, it was kind of a, an explosive order. So, but that said, today we got another motion uh, in this case, and that is the motion to withdraw counsel because Russell apparently hasn't been paying his bills. You can't make this stuff up. Once he decided he was going to attack his former lawyers, it puts the lawyers in a conflict of interest because when you're attacked by the client, then you have an obligation and a right to defend yourself. And are they going to be able to defend themselves by revealing attorney-client privilege? Because he basically questioned their competency and that puts you adverse to the client. And so they're, they're now in a conflict of interest and we have rules of professional conduct which, which govern that. And so once you start making claims against your lawyers, the lawyers have a right to violate the attorney-client privilege and say things in defense of their own conduct. It became untenable. There's no way that they could continue to represent Russell, even if he had paid them, with him now attacking their performance and their recommendations and advice. They haven't gotten to the sentencing hearing. So that's something that's typically reserved for after the sentencing, correct, when you start to claim ineffective counsel. So Mark Moore sort of jumped the gun and Judge Gergel obviously did not like that one bit. But one of the things is that the jury, I don't know if you guys read it, but it reads a little like a logic puzzle because you have to keep track of who the juror is. Is this the anxiety juror? Is this the medication juror? Is this the juror who thought they knew better because they served on a jury before? And you start off to piece together. They, I mean, they tell you, you Judge Gurgle tells you who's who, but it's all about that. And that was such an unusual situation because during deliberation, the judge got four notes in quick succession. And there really, I don't know that there's no precedent for this, but certainly not a lot of it, right, Eric? You are entirely correct. It is a suicidal mission to attack your lawyers before your sentencing and then bring in new lawyers before the sentence because it tells the judge you're not accepting responsibility. You're blaming it on your lawyers when you were the one who took the stand. Remember, he took that extraordinary step to take the stand. And so usually the ineffective assistance of counsel type allegations are way down the road. You do your appeals through the state system or the federal system, and then you do your habeas corpus, which is you bring your body before the court. That's exactly what habeas corpus means. Bring the body before the court and then have the court inquire into the representation that you got. And that's where they raise the ineffective assistance counsel claims. And most times a lot of attorneys welcome it who were part of the trial team. They know it's part of the ultimate appeal process and they know that it's coming, except Russell is accelerating it right now. And I think it's going to backfire and it's another arrow that Judge Gurgle's going to shoot at him with. It did backfire completely because, like I said, Judge Gurgle has addressed the issue of, he said that uh, your defense team is not like tag team wrestling where you can tag in a secondary team because you don't like what the first team did and you don't like the outcome of what they did. Let's just go back to this jury issue because it's important. And I think because of what we saw with the Murdoch trial, the sanctity of what happens during deliberations is a big deal, right? So in order for lawyers, I guess, to ascertain whether there's misconduct or 
you know, some sort of bad behavior happening during deliberations, they often try to talk to the jury, correct? Like they'll call up certain jury members. And that's just a normal bit of it, right, Eric? It is. And it's something that lawyers do as a matter of course. Sometimes in a state court jury, they wait outside the courtroom and they have either paralegals or investigators who will talk to the jury immediately and say what was happening. In these cases, they polled the jurors. In Alex's case, they polled the jurors and they polled them in Russell's case where the judge asked the individual juror, you know, juror number X, did you make this verdict under your own volition, free of any duress and coercion? Is this your is this your vote? And each one who was polled says, yes, that's my vote. Then it becomes very problematic later on if that juror is going to change and say, well, no, actually, I was pressured. And then the judge says, but I asked you in open court and you gave me your answer. We, we don't like lawyers to invade the jury room. We have case law that says we judges should not invade deliberations. So Jim Griffin's been making a lot of hay about the fact that the initial juror said that it was a 9-2-1 vote, meaning that nine guilty, two not guilty, and one that was uncertain. And then they flipped that, those three evidently in 45 minutes. There is no time limit for how long you should deliberate. It does, you know, this was a seven-week trial. These witnesses heard seven weeks worth of testimony. Now, Jim's going to say, try to get out of some jurors. Well, you you made up your minds before the judge released you and the judge charged you. They're going to get nowhere with it. We don't like lawyers starting to invade the jury room. That's arguing over sour spilled milk, and it creates a real problem. These jurors need to be free from harassment. And listen, I have had so many times a juror, an alternate juror or a juror say to me, oh, we really liked you. We really liked you but they voted against me because it's not natural for somebody to look at you in the eye and say, Hey, Eric, I really didn't like you. I thought you were arrogant or you were abusive or, you know, you were not prepared. You were disorganized. Nobody can say that to somebody's face. Very few people can at least. So they always say something nice. And we just, I think we're going to get to the point where what you emailed me today, Liz, which is, is there going to be serious discussions about you cannot contact jurors after a trial. So explain what I sent to you. You sent me from the Federal Bar Association, which means for federal court as opposed to the state court where Alex was tried, where they will limit the ability of lawyers and their agents to contact jurors because it is a form of, can be a form of harassment. If a juror doesn't want to talk, you have to stop. The rules say that. But if you get the juror to start talking, you know, are you manipulating that juror? Are you bringing that juror along? Are you promising? Nobody knows these things. So I think with the more that we contact jurors, this could backfire and that we could end up with rules that say you can't touch him at all. Mandy, what are your thoughts on Russell Lafitte and his apparent quest to burn down the village to get out of going to prison? Well, can we just talk about how he, is he not paying his attorney fees? <laughs> What did that say? I presume that he paid a big part of it. I don't think that you would put that much work in at Nelson Mullins unless you were getting some amount of money. But it seems like, according to the motion, that he has not finished paying his bills. And uh, that's not a good look. Can I comment on that? What Nelson Mullins did was highly improper. And I, I side with Russell on that. You should never reveal that in the public square. 
the way you file your motion to be relieved is you say that there are reconcilable differences between the client and the attorney that would prevent us from zealously representing the client and going forward. And we will go into those issues with your honor in camera, which means in chambers, not on court record. It is highly prejudicial to put your reason for being to wanting to be discharged in a motion. We cannot prejudice our clients, even though our clients may not be paying us, even though the clients may be abusive to us. We cannot say something in a motion as lawyers that would prejudice the client before the court. And that is prejudicial right there. So have you not, have you seen that before where a lawyer would put in an, in a motion to withdraw? We also have to think like Russell was a bad client, man. And I, I just consider, I mean, think back to Russell TV. That seems like years ago, but I feel like he made their job very difficult. And I took from this that Russell is just still a self-centered, egotistical maniac that thinks that he's right. And- Mark Daniel and Matt Austin fought for Russell Lafitte in a very honorable way. Like when we think about what we were just talking about with Dick and Jim and sort of the difference between the two uh, sets of lawyers, because even though we, you know, they, they got beaten up a lot, I guess, in the courtroom by the government and by the judge. They still kept it to the evidence and the law and as opposed to like the drama, you know, and I I just want to say that I appreciate that part of it. For the most part, they did take some, they took some stabs at Eric. Remember that? It's really hard to remember all these things, but that wasn't cool. And I do agree with you, Liz. I mean, they, besides that, they night and day as to how Matt Austin questioned the victims and treated them and spoke to them and Dick and Jim. I mean, that was just totally different. Did you feel like this, Liz, too, watching this trial with all these people? Like, I wish that they were able, I wish the world could have watched Russell Lafitte's trial. And it sucks that they couldn't. (laughs) Because there's just, there's so many things that are really hard to explain to people and words don't capture it. And it's just impossible if people didn't see it. It's really hard to explain to people what it was like and how different they were because we all saw it and no one else did because of the freaking federal court laws and which I hope change in our lifetime, by the way, let's get cameras in the courtroom. Anyways, the Emily Winehouse was fantastic, but so was Creighton. I mean, at the end of the day, and I did see this on Twitter, Creighton's asking for more prosecutors to join his team, which is, it's really good to see these prosecutors who work for a lot less than private attorneys most of the time, getting the praise that they deserve and doing the hard job and doing it right. And I've been overall very much impressed by both teams and the way that they represented South Carolina. I think the way to describe it is uh, Alex trial was like Chuck E. Cheese and Russell's was like a uh, Hall's chop house or Ruth's Chris steakhouse. Like it was just a completely different vibe. <laughs> and the lawyers in both cases, uh, you know, Dick and Jim were like waiters at Chuck E. Cheese and Bart and Matt were like, 
maitre d's at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or uh, Hall's Chop House, whichever one we want to go with. Now, I just really quickly wanted to go back to what we were talking about with Dick on the floor of the Senate. And I was talking this week to some people about what the future of judicial reform is in South Carolina. And I learned a bunch about it. Uh, it looks like because of everything that's been going on with the Murdoch case and over the past year and a half, questions that have been raised about Judge Carmen Mullen, Judge Perry Buckner, other judges uh, who might have been protecting those two, just the, the judicial system in, in a, as a whole has come under attack. And it seems like there is political will to make changes. And I guess what they're being called is common sense changes. And, and Mandy, you had mentioned this, that there's also, uh, because of the abortion bill that they keep trying to push through or the different abortion bills that they keep trying to push through and the court striking it down the one that was the most punitive that they had passed. Now, Governor Henry McMaster and Attorney General Alan Wilson are all in for judicial reform. But in our state, we're one of two states in the country that appoints judges through what's called a Merit Selection Committee. And it's that Merit Selection Committee where we believe the problem is. And so there's some suggestions that are floating out there to make that process better. Eric, what happens when, because Dick and Chip Campson both tried to make it seem like, well, the system's working because look, Judge Newman, did he, he didn't give us any favoritism because I'm a legislator. And it, it was a very set up Q&A, very purposeful kind of, we've gotten this criticism and it's not warranted because everything, this, this case is proof that the system is working. So Eric, what happens when we have a, a system of where it's sort of favoritism or patronage, which is what it seems like, where judges are appointed, not through popular vote, obviously, but through the control of the few, which is just a few people on this committee? Well, obviously, the legislators want to keep that power, make some powerful, make some movers and shakers. For me, if you have a senator that is on the Judiciary Committee and the Appropriations Committee, and he's fighting to raise the salaries of judges and prosecutors. And then he's appearing before the judge that he just got a $90,000 pay raise for, or he's going to a solicitor to negotiate a plea agreement on behalf of a client. And he just got that solicitor a $50,000 pay raise. And he's on the most powerful committees of judicial and ways and means or judicial and appropriation. It's, it's an inherent conflict of interest. And Legislators want to hold that power. For every Judge Newman, though, we don't have a, an equal Judge Newman. There may be two or three that, are, that don't have his temperament, that are a little bit, that can be a little bit abusive or possibly um, don't comport themselves the way that he did. Look, he, he's America's judge at this point. But like you did, you named a couple judges, whether it's Carmen Mullen or, or Judge Buckner. I certainly have my, have my differences more so with Judge Mullen, uh, not face-to-face, -face, but what happened in the Satterfield case, enough that I filed a grievance against her. But I don't know what's happened at this point with that grievance. And, you know, the judges are, it's legislative committees that have to look at these judges and, and 
different committees that we know nothing about. So, Mandy, one of the criticisms of the popular, of electing judges through popular vote is that judges then act like politicians, which then means that they can be controlled by campaign donations and that they are less likely to rule according to the law and their reason uh, as opposed to ruling according to whether they're going to get primaried out of office or um, a political action group will come after them. So who do you think is most hurt by the system that we have currently in South Carolina? People that who don't have any power, um, people that can't afford a attorney that is a also a lawmaker. And, and I think the other thing why I push changing the way that we elect our judges is because our current system, we don't have any accountability. There is at least, at least with judges who are elected, at least they know that they have to go to the public in the next four years and ask them to reelect them. And that system isn't perfect either because, you know, we solicitors are also elected and we all know how that went in the 14th circuit for a really long time. However, it's at least some sort of accountability down the road that the people have within their power. The current system that we have right now, there is zero accountability. The people have tried. They have tried to say, can we do something? Can we at least have an investigation about Judge Carmen Mullen? And the people in charge of her aren't doing anything about it. So there's no accountability there. She can continue to be a judge. She can rule from the bench. And it's a perfect example of what's wrong. I mean, it's just the lack of accountability that I have the biggest problem with our system. The the point you made, though, about people who can't afford to hire a legislator as their attorney, that is, Eric, as an attorney, do you notice that there is sort of a favoritism in terms of who gets hired for certain cases, just based on their connections to the judges. Yeah, definitely people hire certain lawyers that know certain judges or lawyers that are going to appear before a judge and they've had prior business dealings with before that judge got on the bench. Look, everybody's looking to game the system. I'm trying to get the best outcome for my clients. Am I trying to game the system? No. But if I have a relationship with a judge I'm going to play that up when the client comes to me and say, look, you know, I've tried two or three cases with them or, you know, I've seen I can go to lunch with that judge. And I'm not saying I'm going to ever overstep my boundaries, but everybody's looking to gain the system. That's the reality of it. And Dick Harputlian is trading on relationships that he's built up over a lot of years. He's got a ton of currency. Don't forget, some judges also have gotten into some mishaps. Some judges' children have gotten into DUIs or may have had an open container on a beach or, you know, they got in a fight down in Five Points in Columbia. And Dick has taken care of over the years a lot of favors that way. And he builds up currency. So don't kid yourself. Dick, when he was a lawyer before he was a politician, could help out a lot of people whose children got in trouble at USC because Dick used to be the Fifth Circuit solicitor there. Everybody's trading on names. Everybody's trading on relationships. Everybody's trying to game the system. 
that's just what we have. I'm sorry. I mean, I know it's harsh. But it's not everybody. The, see, that's the thing where I think we're mistaken. It's the the people who can afford to game the system. The people who can afford to game the system are the 99% of us who are existing in the regular broken system that moves along slowly and there are no favors to call in. So are you going to have the government pay Dick Harpootlian? The- I'm going to appear on two podcasts. That's my first step. Uh, second step, <laughs> tweet a lot. <laughs> No, seriously, I have government to pay Dick Carpulian to be a lawyer for just the normal uh, blue collar. Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. I yeah, it's it's hard. I I think that that's a question that we should explore another day. But one thing that I I do want to say about gaining the system, and I get it, everyone's human. You're going to have relationships that affect the court one way or another and politics is all relationships but what bothered me about chip canton is that this guy hasn't said anything about this whole thing there is a lot of legislative issues that they could take away from the murdoch case let's talk about corruption let's talk about uh, there's there's a million things but like what to do about Duffy Stone? What to do about Duffy Stone? Let's talk about that. Let, I mean, let's. But instead, he used the one thing that he wanted to get across to make his point, which is that, like, Dick, in this one circumstance, we found the one judge who didn't want to play to your favors. And so let's talk about how that works for us. And it's just really, really, really frustrating with these guys, with these people that, like, we could have all used two years ago to make noise about the story and to use their power in their positions to say that something is really, really wrong in the 14th circuit and we need to do something about it. And now they're jumping on board to use it into their advantage. That's what makes me angry. You know what's going to happen? You're, they're not going to investigate Duffy Stone. They're not going to investigate Carmen Mullen. These legislators are going to start investigating SLED and law enforcement agencies and the job that they're doing on crime scenes. It's going to be a whipsawed effect, but there's been so much denigration of SLED, so much criticism of their investigative techniques and what they're doing that somebody's going to start calling Chief Keel in before some committees. You watch, you watch, that's what's going to happen. The backlash is going to be not against where it should be, but they're going to keep dumping all over SLED that hasn't stopped for seven weeks. Well, there was a time when people told us that Alec Murdoch would never be found guilty of killing Maggie and Paul. So I would like to believe that there will be change because there are people like the three of us and other reporters and the public and now the nation watching this little corner of the earth to see if people will do the right thing moving forward. So if they want to open their investigatory committees or uh, look into SLED, they're going to hear probably from, there's probably going to be more letters about rectal cancer, I would imagine. But anyway, yeah, that's that's what I just have to say. I have some optimism about that. Dick is not unique in that he got criticism. The three of us over the last years, I've gotten emails that will blow your mind. I've had emails, Eric Bland, I can't stand you, but I do appreciate you making a nice word about Creighton. Eric Bland, you're vulgar, you're uninformed you know, go back to Philadelphia. I didn't, I, I, I say, okay, you know, if a hundred people are going to say, not, say something about me and 95 say nice things and five saying not so nice things, that's a pretty good batting average. People get in the hall of fame with batting 300, I'm batting 950. So, you know, Dick, 
Dick was really thin-skinned to think, is he only going to get nice things said about him? Even if he won, somebody's going to say bad things about him. That's what happens. Like, we're in the public spotlight. You can't please all the people all the time. Right, and you... Dick, you you said you were honored to represent a murderer. No, a thief. And you said that you were honored to... Well, he was a thief at that time, but now he's a murderer. No, no. <laughs> a thief at them, which is even worse, because that, that went to our profession. I got to tell you, him stealing money from clients hurt me more. It's even worse to steal money than to kill your wife and son. No, but it's a time. <laughs> at the time. I'm looking at it from a professional... Alex Myrtle hurt my profession so much more than if he just killed his wife and son. Right, and I mean, I I got an email last year when I was on vacation that said, go die. And I did not do what, I haven't done anything. If, if we're on the like bad, good, bad scale, I feel like I'm on the good side of this, but I have gotten a ton of hate mail. And I get it. Like, I know it's one in a million, one in blah, blah, blah. But, like, Dick has to realize that, like, you are representing, and you said that you're honored to represent this horrible person. You're going to get backlash for that because people know right and wrong. And, like, I think it's very different when you're really trying to do the right thing and you're really trying to change a system for the better. Yeah, not only did he say that, but he denigrated women throughout that trial, okay? Let's just be honest. I mean, he was misogynistic. He was, you know, the creepy Uncle Buck that everybody has that, you know, your mother said, don't go alone with Uncle Buck. You know what I'm saying? He's creepy, what he said to women in that trial. I'm sorry. Oh, it's horrible. He looked like Bugsy Malone. I, he looked like a character in Bugs Bunny. That the, when, Do you remember when they would do the mafia characters? That's what he looked like the whole time. That's all I can think of. So as much as he, um, his feelings were hurt, and I'm sorry for that. I hope Alec pays his bills, uh, unlike Russell. And uh, yeah, so I just, real quick before we wrap up, because we've talked about a lot, is just what are we doing next? And I just want to make sure that we get that on the record with people. I know that we, we've been saying it all along, but we, I think we need to make it rather clear that we are not ending anything. Uh, the murder trial was just the tip of the iceberg, and we will be branching out into other stuff. Um, Mandy, did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, Eric, you brought up a great point. If if the legislator decides to go after SLED and that's the only thing that they decide because of Dick Harpootlian's influence and everything, that's why we are here to call them out and make sure that they start investigating the right things. And you know what? As we talked about last week, people like Alan Wilson are now suddenly realizing what it feels like to do the right thing and have the world cheer you on. And I hope that he's getting that message and I hope that he has that energy to continue and do investigating and putting more people away for these horrible crimes. And I, I hope that Stephen Smith is on the top of his list. He's on the top of our list. Yeah, he's on the top of ours. So, I mean, just, I, we can't be clear enough about this. There are so many... We knew the murder trial was never going to be the end as much as we all wish it was. <laughs> there's no, there's a million loose ends and we're not going away. So stay tuned. And we hope that inspires other people to do uh, similar things in their communities to fight against the uh, power where corruption is preventing people from seeing justice. Let me give you a forecast on what the next six months will look like for everybody. We're going to have a couple financial trials probably before the fall that have been scheduled, Satterfield, maybe Arthur Badger. 
We obviously have Russell's sentencing coming up. We're going to have the post-trial motions that Alex is going to file that'll be fodder. We also have uh, Corey Fleming that nobody has talked about that's still out there. The federal government, they're doing their own investigations. So this Myrtle, and it's a Myrtle saga, Myrtle story, is going on for a long time. And there's so many other interesting things that are happening out there, whether it's the Kohlberger case out in uh, Wisconsin, in Idaho, excuse me, whether it's the ice cream killer in Florida, whether it's uh, the doomsday that's coming also out there in Idaho. There's so many different things that we'll talk about. Um, the Walsh case that uh, Liz is so familiar with and Mandy, our resident sleuth, who just watches till 11 o'clock to five in the morning, all these true crime things, she's gonna come up with a thousand new things to talk about. So you're gonna hear us for a long time. We, uh, we're, we're happy to talk to you. We're gonna educate you. We're gonna make sure that we have sunlight on the justice system. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, and more guests. We'll bring on some guests in the future too. There's just, a, there's, there's too much to talk about as we always run into the problem of the clock just runs out and there's just too much. That's right. So if you enjoy our podcast, make sure to like and review and leave us uh, leave us some stars, preferably five of them. Thank you for um, a robust discussion today. I appreciate it. And uh, cups down. Cups down, everybody. Cups down, guys. Great job. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.